Hey everyone, Dr. Pat and I would personally like to invite you to join us in our Grow My Baby program. This is week-by-week pregnancy and birth information developed from our experience of helping more than 4,000 women grow and birth their babies. All our links are on our website, growmybaby.com.au. If you're trying to get pregnant or you are pregnant and you feel a little bit overwhelmed by all you need to know, then this is the right podcast for you. Welcome to the show. I'm Bridget Maloney. And I'm obstetrician Dr. Patrick Maloney. And this is The Kick, your expert-led podcast that delivers the essentials of growing a baby. Make sure you head to our website, growmybaby.com.au, to get some awesome free tools like our Pregnancy Knowledge Checker to help you feel like you got this. Welcome, everyone. This is episode 16. And what we're covering today is, can I say no to tests and treatment during pregnancy and birth? And we thought this would be a really good topic because, you know, there's so many women that we know or on the internet or, you know, when I was in my mum's group and, and stuff that say that they felt that they had no choice during their pregnancy or birth um, and that things were done to them that they didn't agree to. Yeah. And I just thought that it would be, you know, just something for us to simply cover. But I was pretty naive. It's it's open Pandora's box, really. No, it's huge. It's, it's a huge. huge. Because ethically, a healthcare provider can't force a woman to accept any sort of treatment, can they? No, 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 absolutely not. And nor, nor can you, and it doesn't even, in pregnancy, it doesn't make it any easier. You, you can't force things on people for the good of the baby either. No. Well, that's right. That must be really difficult as a health practitioner. So if you've got a situation where you know that decision is harmful. Yeah. Like what's going on in your head when that happens? I think it's it's very, very challenging. Thankfully, it doesn't happen too often. Most people most people will put themselves out for something that they didn't really want if they're being advised that it's strongly in the best interests of their baby. Uh, but sometimes it happens. And sometimes uh, I've certainly been involved some, in some incidents in my career where I very, very strongly thought that, that a woman in labour should have a caesarean section for the well-being of the baby, but, but she didn't want to do that. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the most challenging parts of the job. What I hope from the Grow My Baby program that we'll do is uh, help women to be empowered and, and help them to advocate for themselves, mm-hmm. but also knowing in an informed way what's worth advocating for. You know, if it's skin-to-skin contact sure. after they've given birth, of course they should be doing that. But knowing the difference between if they've been given advice that perhaps is potentially life-threatening to them or their baby, mm. that that's advice that they should heed. Yeah, I think a really good example is, you know, when you're formulating a birth plan. One of the reasons I like people to do a birth plan is so that they can come back with it a week later and and say, well, what, what do you think? Mm. And it gives us an opportunity to iron out some misunderstandings because some of them, sometimes there is genuine misunderstandings about why I might recommend something. And the reason I might recommend something might vary from, yeah, it's actually not that important, you can go one way or the other, but I think this, right up to something that's been, uh, you know, um, beyond a shadow of a doubt proven to be highly beneficial. Mm. And I strongly recommend it. Well, the patient might, might not know which it is. So if they come back with their birth plan and they say that they want, um, you know, delayed cord clamping so that we let all the blood come out of the cord into the baby before we clamp the cord, highly supportive of that. Fantastic. That is a genuine choice. You can have that or not have it. And mm. if you feel strongly you want to have it right right behind you, fantastic. 
Someone might think that it's just as optional whether you will have an injection for the in the third stage of labour to prevent postpartum hemorrhage. And I would say, well, it's still optional, it's still up to you. This is your body. I'm not going to attack you by giving you an injection you don't want. But actually, the evidence behind doing that is overwhelmingly in favour of doing it. Mm. And the problem if we don't do it is that postpartum hemorrhages are much, much, much harder to treat than they are to prevent. Yeah. And if we wait until the hemorrhage is up and going, it doesn't go nearly as well as if we just give everyone the injection and prevent them in the first place. And it really depends on, you know, why she formed that opinion in the first place. Mm-hmm. You know, it could have been from, I don't know, her family, friends, her reading of the million online blogs about yeah. pregnancy. Um, there's a lot of information out there. It's really hard to sort of nut out what it is that you want to take on board or not. Yeah, so some of it's about looking at someone's motivation yeah. and, th- and saying, well, why, why, do they, why are they saying no to this treatment? And I, I think that really useful things to um, establish in this sort of scenario is communication. Yeah. As a private obstetrician, that's pretty easy because I see people who wanted to come and see me in the first place. I see them tons during the pregnancy and we build up uh, a rapport and uh, the communication is there. Yeah. And and that's saying if if someone, you know, they they're not seeing a private obstetrician or or a private midwife or whatever and so they don't have that one-on-one communication with somebody, you can still request to talk to somebody else within your your pregnancy or your birth, can't Absolutely. you? So, you know, if you're not getting through to somebody or they're not getting through, no, you're just not communicating well, yes. then you know, you might communicate well with the next doctor or the next nurse or... The next midwife, that's right. So the, so that's part of, of advocating for yourself mm. w- within a public system or within a system where you don't see the same person every time. Yeah. It's, it's just plain old true that if you're not seeing the same person every time, a lot of the quality of your experience is going to be up to you. Yes, that's right. Um, and I think there's a lot to be said about being polite <laughs> in yes. this situation. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that yeah. woman is politely asking for more information mm. or politely asking for somebody else. I know it, it's it's a bit unrelated, but just this week I was listening to the radio and they were talking about the Melbourne uh, shop Keepers Union, uh, they released a report saying the abuse of shop assistants yeah. was just high. I can't remember the percentage. Like it was 18, 20% or something like that. And it's a bit for the health professionals too, isn't it? Like you guys do cop a fair bit of abuse. I think so. So I think someone trying to advocate for themselves should be polite because you don't want to have your your birth in a hospital where you've fallen out with the care providers yeah, there. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. So we're talking about a constructive um, uh, discussion. And hopefully the person on the other end is also being constructive and not, you know. Well, it, it absolutely worth, works both ways. And that's for sure. Like, for example, um, if a patient says, I don't want to have a vitamin K injection for my baby or vaccination mm-hmm. for my baby, then I don't think it's adequate just to tick the box saying refused. Yes. I think that we shouldn't be ticking the box saying refused until we've perhaps gone, escalated the clinical question up to some more seniority. Some education has gone on. Yeah. This is why I think you should have those things. And then if we're still refusing, then you tick refused. Yeah. yeah. It's a bit belligerent just to go straight to like tick the box refused. Oh, it's yeah. just not good care. It yeah. isn't, no. So, you know, in your experience, what are some of the common things that women can say no to? Well, some people say no to just about everything and, yeah. and, and deliberately seek out a model of obstetric care that doesn't involve uh, healthcare professionals. Mm. And I don't just mean obstetricians, I mean midwives or, or anybody. 
and uh, they are well within their rights to do so. But uh, we certainly think that in Australia in, in, in 2019 that we can't um, just assume that we'll get the same good results as everybody else if we don't go to the same lengths that those other people went to to get those good results. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes. Birth is safe because we do it well. Yeah, yeah. Not by accident. Not by accident, okay. All right, so I think it'd be useful to say, well, what are some tools that a woman can use to make her and her partner feel like they're part of the decisions or the decision makers in this process? Well, I think one of the things that really comes down to is, you know, the openness of the communication, trust in the people giving you the info, but also knowledge. You, have, you want to know what you're talking about. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, you know, you asked a moment ago, what, what can you say no to it? Well, it's anything you like. I don't think people set out to say no to things. No. But I think that they might start to think, oh, I've read something about, I've read something about an injection in my thigh during the third stage of labour to prevent postpartum hemorrhage affecting the success of breastfeeding. Well, before basing our decision not to have that injection on that information, we should better, better have a look about whether it's true. Yeah. You with me? Yeah. So, so, so higher levels of, of education and unfortunately that reliable stuff like that can be hard to find. Yeah. I think, I think when it comes down to it, if there's a, a bit of a, I don't want to say a dispute, if there's a disagreement between what's being recommended and what's being received, then the patient, um, the pregnant woman should feel that she and her partner are allowed, are absolutely allowed to say, can I have more time to think about yeah. it? Could you explain it to me one more time? Could you get somebody else to explain it to me? Yeah. Or even, can you just give me and my partner a chance to talk about it without you in the room? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Go out so we can have a yak about yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, of course, a really useful tool that's in common use in Australian hospitals is encouraging patients to ask questions along the lines of, what are the risks and benefits of procedure X and what of the what are the risks and benefits of not doing procedure yeah. X? What what happens if I do nothing? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's that's tricky in some circumstances where the time pressure might be on. Like mm-hmm. you know, if you've if you've got to a point where you've you've felt like you've just been pushed from uh, having this uh, labour within a room to it being that there's a room full of people sort of staring you down and, and you feel like you don't have a choice at that point in time. Yeah. How would you help that woman feel good about decisions being made at that time? I think I think I would, if we get to that point in the acute situation of the labour ward without ever having dealt with it, we're in a bit of trouble. Okay, without you ever having talked to them about it before. Yeah, I think yeah. that, that's a problem. That's a problem, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and um, one of the problems in maternity care, for example, is it might be brought up in an antenatal class that forceps are possible. But that's not the person who puts the forceps on yeah. three months later when you need the forceps. Um, so the person doing the forceps in the in the acute situation where suddenly the fetal heart rate plummeted and we need to get the baby out straight away and everybody's stressed so we put forceps on, that person hasn't had a chance to talk to you about forceps. Yeah. Yeah. And so it is a, um, a complex situation where urgent things like that are not rare and we're not, we're not terribly good yet at really preparing people for the realities of childbirth. Yeah. People go to classes. I'm not convinced we learn 
enough and I'm not convinced we learn what we should, everything we should learn. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We, we focus on uh, normal situations and, mm. and mostly it is a normal situation, but every woman within that normal situation has little sort of peaks and troughs of, you know, the boundaries of perhaps what isn't normal and that, that can be a shock. Yeah. You know, for a, a woman who is expecting it just to be textbook. Yeah, mm. and one of the one of the other problems is that we come at it from a different perspective. As obstetrician, you know, we're we're very focused on safety. Yes. So, safety for mother, safety for baby, but there's another dimension which doesn't get much of a look in sometimes, which is the quality of the experience for the woman, mm. and she might highly value that more than safety, maybe not, but she might really highly value that. And if, for example, a woman has a birth experience where ultimately she's fine and so is the baby, she may not still consider that a satisfactory outcome. Mm. There might be a lot of healthcare providers standing around patting themselves on the back, but she may not be pleased. Yes, with how it her, she might be actually seeing some part of that delivery as being traumatic. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So on that point, what can someone do if they've had a birth where they feel that they weren't listened to? Yeah, so I think that happens all the time. Mm. Um, and a debrief is important. And debrief gives an opportunity to go through what happened one step at a time and for caregivers to, to cover again why they why doing whatever it was, a vacuum, a forceps, an emergency seizure, was considered a good idea at the time. And who's doing that debrief? Yeah, it, it, it's a problem. It's in a uh, in a sort of a public hospital system. It's it's often not the people who were there, mm. and that's a problem for patients. At least in private sector, it is the people who were there. Yeah. So the benefit of it is to try and help the um, patient work through the way they're feeling about it and to clear up any errors of fact. Mm. You know, I remember this, this, this happening and we can go to the notes and say, well, actually it didn't quite happen in that order or it didn't happen in exactly the way that, that a certain, certain person might, rem might, might remember it. Mm. And then the idea, of course, is to try and uh, is to try and help that person uh, heal from whatever's going on in their mind about the birth afterwards. And hopefully, people have sort of put steps in place beforehand. You know, they've they they know what they can say no to. They know how to listen to information as it's given to them mm -hmm. to help them make their decisions. And they've learnt the way to make those decisions so they feel empowered, yeah. so they don't get to the point where they you know are, um, are in this sort of post traumatic period where they need this debrief yeah. or seek legal redress. Well, there's that. Yep. Yep. That's right. So th there's an interesting phenomenon where somebody can have a birth that did not go according to plan, that where there were complications, and yet it's still described by the patient as a positive and empowering experience. Mm. And it's because they've been able through good self-training or good luck to shift the goalposts of what a positive empowering birth actually looked like. Mm. So for example, it is empowering in some situations to accept expert advice and to and to go down a and, and to be flexible and to go down a path that you didn't imagine you would. And that's not necessarily disempowering. Yeah. And actually we don't talk about that that much, do we? You know, that um, people perhaps have gone down, you know, it, the birth hasn't proceeded how they expected. Mm-hmm. We hear the negative part of that, or maybe mm. I do. Maybe that's part of my personality, that that's what I'm listening to. Yeah. However, you know, like you said, there are some women that go, oh, yeah, 
I um I had a twenty six hour labour. wasn't <laughs> wasn't what I was. Yeah, obstructed thinking. at four yeah. centimetres yeah. and had a section. And there you go. Yeah, there we go. I yeah. have a baby. Yeah, it's it's such a. A big topic, um, and we really do need your help on this. So what we're going to do is when we release this podcast, we're going to put up a post on our Instagram page, and that's at grow underscore my underscore baby. Um, and we would love to hear from you. When was it that you advocated for yourself? How did that feel? What could you have done better? What could we, you know, health practitioners have done better? How can we work collaboratively to have a positive birth experience. I think that um, it would be terrific to be able to build on uh, some sort of bank of experiences, possibly even some sort of education tool, so we can work, so we can do better on this. Yeah. Speaking of education tool, this is this is probably a, a shameless plug, but we did actually talk about it already, and that is the birth plan. And um, as part of the Grow My Baby program, we have a pretty in depth birth plan template um, and that sort of is something that you know everyone's encouraged to do um, I think that's about in the second module yeah yeah I said that some people think that their obstetrician is going to be against the birth plan because they want the the, the obstetrician might want the couple to be as open-minded as possible about how it's going to go on the day whereas I don't think those things are mutually exclusive at all I think if you don't have a plan for something how can it go to plan I think you know we should be planning for the best yes but a good birth plan should also in include um, how am I going to approach it if it doesn't go according to plan, given that with your first baby, intervention's not rare. Mm. So a good birth plan has to be deeper than, than here's, here's the music I want playing. Yes. It, it's it's got to look into how's it going to look for me yeah. if, those, if, if, if something like that happens. How do I consent for forceps delivery or, you know, all that sort of thing is, is important for somebody to know because they're often the things that women are blindsided by, isn't it? And that's what they feel like that they've been railroaded into a decision that they weren't ready to make. That's right. So we don't want everyone, you don't have to become a consultant obstetrician worth of knowledge about these things, but I think you need more more knowledge than we've given people in the past. Yep. Yeah. All right. Excellent. Well, I hope that was useful, people. And um, thank you once again for listening. We're getting um, very excited by uh, everything that's happening with the podcast and we love it when you come over to our Instagram page and follow us there. Uh, and please just get on and, and tell us what you think of this episode. That'd be great. Thanks for listening. Goodbye now. Goodbye now.